Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Down the block, Andrew Johnson. Inside for Elba. Elba will score. Elba will score. Newcastle has won the grand final. He's got the ball. Jared Hayes. Hayes, superstar, superhuman. Tolly Bodulai. The speed of a bullet. He hits it. Welcome back to the Rugby League Guru Podcast. Today, I'm lucky enough to be joined by former Manly Seagulls and North Queensland Cowboys winger Michael Barney. I've split this interview into two parts today. This is part one. And this is a guy that over the last few years I've got to know a little bit. Um, I've taught some of his kids when they were at school in Sydney. He's recently moved up to Queensland. He is just a fantastic bloke, a great family guy, and just a champion fellow to be around. I've really enjoyed getting to know him, and it was a real honour to share his story. He's one of those guys, he's never been a superstar in the NRL. He was a real toiler, but his story... It is rivaled by few. It is an incredible story. I'll let Michael tell more, but he essentially came from an island in the Torres Strait with less than 300 people on it, made his way to Bundaberg to play some footy there to have a go, and eventually ended up being scouted by the Manly Seagulls. He gets on a plane, Crusher Cleel's waiting for him at Mascot Airport, drives him over the bridge, and he arrives in front of Desi Hasler and goes on a journey through first grade that's simply incredible. He's not one of those guys that was ever a superstar, so it's really interesting to see the highs and the lows. There's plenty of lows with so many first graders, but you don't hear about them. Michael talks about in 2008, Manly, they defeat the Melbourne Storm in the grand final, 40-0. Unbelievable scenes. Just a sensational game of footy. What a moment for the Manly Seagulls. But it's bittersweet for Michael Barney. He had a wing spot locked down, got injured during the year. David Williams comes in to replace him, and David Williams cements that spot for himself, goes on to play for Australia that year, plays Origin the next year, and is a premiership winner now. One of those sliding doors moments that happens to so many first graders across so many decades, but these are the stories you don't tell. It's an absolute honour to bring this one to you. Keep an eye out next Monday. We'll have part two dropping, but for now, let's kick it off. The strange play goes for the big pass on play one. The ball ends up with Michael Barney. He crashes over the corner. Try to Manly. Michael Barney, welcome on. How are we, mate? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me, mate. Mate, it's an honour having you on. We've uh, we've got to know each other over the last few years. I've taught a few of your kids uh, down in Sydney. You've since moved up to Queensland. Geez, you've timed that well. Mate, we have. We have indeed. Um, you know, when I got your message, uh, 
think it was about a month or so ago and and he asked me to go on the show and um it said nathan so my i because you said you taught kids at saint andrews and so I asked the kids, Astrid, who's Nathan? Who's Nathan at your school? So we were trying to figure out who was Nathan. And then she, she went, oh, I think that's Mr. Durkin. <laughs> nah, she's and a great kid. Oh, man. no, that's the guy I took up on stage and made him island dancing. <laughs> Mate, when you sent me that video the other day, I must say that was the worst 15 seconds of my life. So cheers for that. <laughs> nah, um, you're right, mate. <laughs> mate, um... You know, obviously, when I first met you, you know, a year or two ago, obviously, the thing that stood out to me is how proud you are of your culture. You know, tell me about that passion. I think it's um, very important for me to upkeep that um, that belief and that tradition uh, because I'm so far away from home and my kids are growing up, you know, on the mainland and not in the Straits. So it's very important for me to, to practice that and and for them to kind of be connected to that so that when they do go back home, they have a familiar idea of, um, you know, how to, how to reconnect to their culture when they're on the islands and that. So, uh, mate, every day for me is about um, practicing the culture, which is very, very important. Mate, you said then uh, when the kids go back home, tell me specifically where is home? The home is located uh, on Mabiog Island, which is the uh, western part of um, Torres Strait. Uh, I think it's about 40 k's northeast from the tip of Queensland. Um, and that's where I grew up. I was born on Thursday Island. I grew up on Mabio because that's where my, um, my tribe is from. And I, I spent mo- all of my childhood there before I left uh, home at the age of 13. For the first time, I left home uh, to go to school at St. Augustine's College in Cairns. So how many people are um, on that island? Uh, I think 300, between 280 to 300 people. Is that 300 now or 300 when, when you were growing up there? Uh, I think there's less now. Wow, okay. Yeah, because yeah. so, everyone's kind of, uh, for health reasons, a lot of lot of families move away uh, to Cairns uh, mostly. Uh, you know, the, the, the diabetes illness is, is kind of crippling the straits, so a lot of uh, our families have to move away for... Um, for health assistance and that sort of thing. So I think the population kind of dropped down a bit since I've been home. Mate, obviously when you were growing up there, I'm sure there were no NRL stars to look up to that had come from your area. No, mate, we, uh, we only, we could only hear the games on the radio. Um, if we were lucky, um, cause most times there was no, uh, no batteries available for the, for the stereo. So, Whenever we got the barge come in and we put the batteries in and listen to the games, um, but it was always the, the games of the Brisbane Broncos um, back in those days with Stevie Renoff and them. But there was no one to look up to, yeah, so we just had to improvise most of the time and just um, come up with our own games, um, games of footy, games of uh, um, playing army and that sort of thing, building tree houses in the mangroves and whatever we could do, we, we just, yeah, had to be creative so to speak mate i've got a footy team that i coach in south sydney and you know so, some, some of the kids they say they want to play first grade and i think oh geez it's you know it's so hard to make it for you to make it from there it just defies belief yeah look um i was very fortunate with with all the uh the support that i, I got through throughout the journey 
uh, especially from from my family, my sister in particular, because she supported me uh, mentally and and financially and and all that. Um, look, I, I wasn't uh, as as a lot of kids on the island. We we all aspire to be a, a rugby league, like national rugby league player. But uh, I kind of got to a high school and played footy for the first time, like my first season ever of footy um, in under thirteens. And throughout that, I, I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm not really up to the the, the standards of what, what all the other boys, um, you know, with all their junior developments, like what they've gone through. So after high school, I kind of just went home and I just worked there and died for um, crayfish and that sort of thing. And um, and then at the age of 23, I decided, you know what, I'll, I'll give it one last crack. So I moved to Bundaberg in 2006. When I was teaching your kids over the last few years, your son, Junior, obviously some of the things he was telling me, you know, because I hadn't met you yet and he was telling me these stories, you know, from a six or seven-year-old and some of the stuff he was doing, I honestly sat there and went, is he lying to me? Like, is he actually doing this stuff on the weekends? Like, so many kids now are growing up with their heads in screens and on computer games and whatnot and your son, Junior, some of the experiences he has had, you know, which wouldn't seem that uncommon to you, but to the general public... The experiences he's had as a young kid have been unbelievable. Can you run me through some of those? Look, um, because of the children and not not just uh, me and Corinda, so we, we, we have three now. Um, but Corinda also had two, so we, we have five kids all up. It, it's very important for them uh, with their cultural backgrounds to connect to that because it, it's kind of, it, it's not kind of it's part of their identity, and so we had to create something for them. Uh, a space for them to uh, be able to uh, have the opportunity to to connect to their culture, and when we did that, we we took the kids with us throughout the journey, and then we went up to um, the Straits, took Junior up there. He went up for the first time. I think it was uh, twenty fourteen, maybe. Um, mate, he absolutely loved it. He just, um, you know, immersed into the culture and. It was really a, a wonderful experience to watch because, you know, he's a kid grew, growing up in Sydney, born and bred in Sydney, and then you take him up there and it's like he hasn't made a miss a bit, that sort of thing. Like he just sort of like blended in and, and became part of it and then he was speaking the language with the kids. Um, you know, the, the, his body language shifted and he was like behaving like the, the kids up there. It was really good to see because it it took me back to my childhood memories. Mate, I remember talking to Junior one day in a group of four or five kids and asking him what they did in the school holidays. And it was, I went to the movies, I played this PlayStation game. The Junior said, I caught a green turtle or something along that (laughs) mark. And I just went, you did what? I couldn't believe it. Uh, Yeah, yeah. He would have jumped on the back of a turtle. Um, This is, you know, took him on... um, spearfishing and that sort of thing as well and just showed them how to uh, my my sisters and that they're they're well and truly into that um uh, cultural lifestyle and they you know taught junior and showed adeline as well um you know planting vegetables and that sort of thing on the island and and yeah it's really good for them they they love it they they absolutely love it mate you mentioned earlier that you made the move to bundaberg what happened after that yeah, mate. Um, I got an opportunity to play local footy, A-grade footy in Bundy um, through through another uncle of, of ours and um, Tat Whaleboat. 
And I sort of thought, you know, there's nothing for me up here, nothing going on at the time. So I'm just going to give it a crack. So I moved to Bundy. And then I think it was about six months or so into being in Bundy. Um, I started getting interest from uh, Queensland Cup. Um, people were coming up to, to watch games. I, I was making the rep teams and that in Bundy and, and I was scoring tries left, right and centre. And I had a guy come up. I can't remember his name, but he come up from Sydney and he said he, he was part of the, the Manly um, recruitment system. And he come up to have a look and then, yeah, he was very, very, um, he loved what he saw. And then I think he went back and had a chat to the coaching staff and said, we got to look at this kid. And, and we sent video footages down to um, Sydney. And this, this was all done um, behind closed doors. Like I had no idea this was all happening. Um, I was just there to pretty much what, what a young fellow at the time was doing was play footy and get on the drink every weekend. And, I was having fun, but while I was doing that, all of this stuff was happening. And it came to, I say, I'd say about like a week or so before the finals um, of, of Bundy footy. That's when I got the, um, the knock on the door to say we, they want me to go down in November uh, for a six-week trial. So pre-Christmas. That's what happened. Yeah, it just happened so quick. And I signed a uh, a little contract to say, yeah, I'm going to go down and train f- before Christmas. Um, flew down. So you can imagine I went from home, we are 300 people, to Bundy, which was like, I say, 10,000, to a place like Sydney. <laughs> and uh, and I'm like, you know, I f- could barely speak English, uh, could, could barely string a few words together. And I'm flying down for the first time to Sydney and looking at this big city, and then turning up like at the at the airport to uh, to be greeted by a crush of Cleo, and we then took me over across the bridge to uh, to Manly. When I got to Manly, I I stayed at uh, um, in Narrabeen with other footy players, and then a while later I moved in with Crusher. Um, but yeah, six weeks uh, before Christmas, and before I left home, before I left Sydney to go home. I pulled into the office by Des, and the coaching staff was there, Crusher Cleal, uh, Dennis Moore, um, and they all said, look, we were pretty impressed with your, with your effort and, and your attitude, um, so we'd like to offer you another six weeks, so come back after Christmas, and then you can train for another six weeks and see how we go from there. Mate, I hear a lot of the Manly boys talk about Crusher Cleal, like he is so important in those first few development years. What did he mean to you? Oh, look, um, I guess... Look, when I was at high school, I, I spent a lot of weekends out with, with other boys and some of these boys were country boys. So there's a lot of similarities between um, the, the lifestyle of, of the country uh, farmers and, and island, I, I guess, because we're so isolated that we kind of look after each other. And that's, that's how Crusher and I clicked. Like we, he's a country boy and I'm an island boy, so he kind of, he was familiar with all that um, going from a little place to a big city. So, so he was really very, very supportive uh, with his um, wife at the time as well, his fiance, and they, they really uh, helped me through it, especially Shelly at the time when she was, when I was living with her, um, they, they really uh, made, made it feel like home, you know, with, with, with everything from, 
from the environment to the way we was uh, eating, cooking, and sitting around the table and that sort of thing. So I really felt I really felt at home, and that 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 really that was really really important for me, um, especially going from a, a tiny island to a big place. You know, I think most kids would have done that uh, back then and would have just gone, no, nah, I've had enough, I'm going home. So, yeah, I've got a lot, you know, Crusher and Shelley to thank for, for for the start of my NRL journey. Mate, obviously your story is an extreme example, but, like, for every one of you, you know, there's a hundred other kids that come from the country or they come from an island. And, you know, I, in my opinion, from what I've heard from other guys, you know, maybe the NRL doesn't do enough for guys like you. What sort of improvements could you see in situations like that in the future? Oh, wow. That's um, a really great question. Um, there's, there's a lot of things uh, that, that could be done. Um, but for me, my personal journey, I don't know what, how it is now in this day and age. Um, to be honest, I, I'm, I'm not really following... Um, footy anymore like I sort of given that up five years ago and then just been uh, pursuing this uh, this other journey that I'm on but it was more of a uh, an awareness thing I feel going into these communities uh, if, if, if you if I was going back to my community it, it, it is to uh, equip this young man with with, uh, with the tools the necessary tools on, on how to survive or, or end thrive in, in a big place like Sydney um, because the, the lifestyle is so different and you go up home, it's like laid back, so relaxed. There's time does not exist, that sort of thing. But then to go to Sydney, you then have to put up with that and can be a shock to the system. It, it was for me, you know, I was always late training and then I had to get used to that really quick. It, I guess a bit of a awareness training. Um, and I'll, I'll also, you know, f- funding helps a lot too. So there, there was no, no, um, no funding system or support in place because a lot of the time, uh, my my own family had to pocket out their money to to support me throughout the um, throughout the journey. Mate, you mentioned walking into the office at Manly and Des Hasler was there. Now Des Hasler is a one in a million bloke. Um, how did you find him? I imagine coming across a coach like him arriving <laughs> in Sydney, it must have been quite a daunting experience yeah um a lot of a lot of people i don't know I, I guess a lot of uh a lot of players might find him uh, intimidating as a coach he's very stern and, and he's very disciplined but i've always find that like uh, there's there's at, at a softer side if 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 you like soft side to him if you really really got to know him and i was fortunate enough to to kind of uh witness that that side of him so I never really had a, a run-in or anything as such with Des. Like him and I always got along. And he, he was more of a mentor for me than, than a coach. Like he was advising me to do all, all of this stuff when, when I was playing um, under him back then in Manly. He even like uh, encouraged me to, to look at uh, investment, um, things like that. But, the, you know, you're talking to an island boy. Like I had no idea what, what he was talking about. So... Thinking back then, I was like, wow, Desi was really smart, not just as a coach, but off-field as well as a business person. So, Mate, I'm interested to hear your perspective on it. You know, I, I look at him and I think over the last 10 or 15 years, and I think it's a really underrated factor with him, he seems to be able to get the absolute best out of 
Polynesian and Indigenous players, from what I've mm. seen. Is, is that obviously built off the relationship that he builds? Absolutely. Um, he takes his time. He takes his time with, with uh, Indigenous and Polynesian players and because he sees the potential. But I think a lot of where uh, uh, most of us are Indigenous men, I can speak for, we come from, it's, it's, uh, it's a place of uh, respect and humility. So oftentimes we're not going to uh, kind of retaliate or we, we're not going to um, say if Desi's yelling at us or talking to us, we, we're not going to talk back, if that makes sense. You know, most players talk back to get the knowledge. Um, we will just sit, sit quietly. We will just head down and kind of humble ourselves and um, or be humble. And, and to, to, to dare or to anyone who's, who's not... Uh, who haven't seen that sort of um, behavior would think that we're all shy or we're, we're just, we're just scared. We don't want to speak up, but there's really got to, um, he really got to, uh, I, I guess from his teaching background, I suppose uh, he really got to connect with, with his players and to get the best out of them without being an authority figure, so to speak. He, he kind of he almost went down to our level uh, as, as a player uh, and as a person and, and, and try to get the best out of us. And I think back to those times now, and if I had the knowledge of what I do now, like what the knowledge I have now, if I had that back there, perhaps I may would have been a much better player than what I was at the time. So I, I just, I didn't know what, you know, what was happening because of the, the cultural change um, going from an island to a city. Mate, I guess one advantage for you, you know, coming from the island, I imagine that first preseason, I imagine it would have been extremely difficult, but your base of fitness would have been incredible. Uh, again, I was also fortunate um, and blessed with, with that ability. Um, I did I did sprint training when I was at high school. Um, was never fast, but just did it because I just loved it um, and just for the fun of it. And... You know, there was also a girl involved, so I was at the... Well um, applied, well applied. Yeah, always at the sprint uh, sprint tracks, um, you know, just for one reason. I, I really benefited from that. So when I went to Bundy, that's what got me through. And then when I went down to Manly, that's what got me through as well, was uh, just the, the natural... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today to run fast uh, when I got down to, to Manly and I was you know put into with the conditioning training with, with Donnie Sinch um, who's there now as well mate, I couldn't even lift 30 kilos in bench press so Donnie put me through this um, program just on my own because all these other players were already pumping out 100 kilos I was pumping 30 to 40 and then eventually like prior to Christmas I I um I managed to start you know gaining muscle and that sort of thing. So I went through uh, Donnie's uh, training program and that that really helped as well. But 
think the one thing that that was really helping me throughout it was the, the natural ability to run fast. Tell me, mate, was there any time during that preseason where you just thought, this is too much for me? Like, I imagine putting it all together, coming to the bright lights of Sydney, you know, having to do that extra weights training, all the fitness. I imagine it would have been pretty heavy on your shoulders. Yeah, look, I uh, I, I hear you mention bright lights. And when I was at Bundy, I, I had a um, – my Tat's friend came to watch me um, train and play one one time. Um, Max was his name. And he helped, he helped a lot of guys playing in the NRL, um, guys like uh, – one I can think of uh, from the top of my head, like Matt Singh. Um, and he he came to me, gave me all the advice, the right advice, um, the the guidance. He, he wrote me a letter and he said, don't read this letter until you get to Sydney. And then when I got to Sydney, I read the letter. And then in the letter, it said, uh, stay away from the bright lights. And I'm like, okay, what does this mean? As soon as I got there, right, I got taken um, under the wings of players like uh, Matt I, um, Brett Stewart, uh, Glenn Stewart, Travis Burns, the likes. And it was like the right light sort of thing. So it was all about that. And it was fun, you know. There was so many times, like even before Christmas, after Christmas, uh, even during the 2007 season, I, I was just like, nah. This is too much. This is too much for a, for a guy like me. I can't handle this. No one speaks my language. No one eats my food. Um, I, I, no one gets me. Um, so I was pretty much winging it the entire time. Um, so I, I remember talking to Glenn uh, Stewart, um, also Chris Hicks. Um, I remember pulling them aside. And I think it was um, courageous of me, brave of me to do that. Not many players would, um, you know, would keep that to themselves. But I, I was like, you know, I, I want to stay. I don't want to go home. I want to stay. I want to make it work. So I, I need to express myself here. No one's I need someone to listen to me because uh, I've got something I want to share. And so I went up to the boys and I said, look, I, I just want to give up. And as soon as I said that, man, they, they just got all the boys around me. Um, Menzies, Steve Menzies, you know, a few invitations out for me. Uh, invitations out for me on a few occasions, you know, go around to each place, chill. Um, Jamie Lyon, Matty Ballon, all those players. Um, I don't know, it's all the good mates that I, I formed a relationship with, like Jason Wells, uh, Sean Meany, Vic Morrow. Um, I don't know if anyone knows them these days. They're all, we're, we're all old players, mate. <laughs> but yeah, it, uh, it really helped a lot to have, to have men, men like them around. And I guess we were all in the same boat. A lot of us country boys and, and island boys and that were all in the same boat, so we all had to look out for each other. Mate, some of those guys you mentioned, obviously, when I look back at that Manly, you know, the 07 to about 10 period, they really are the last of that old-school footy side to me that, you know, you know what? at that time, the Melbourne Storm, they were building their dynasty and they were just built like machines and they were... You know, it was just get to a certain spot on the field. They'd be their recovery off field would be top notch. That you know they wouldn't be out on the drink. Whereas the Manly boys, they just seem to embrace that culture that we're going to go out and have a good time. But when we get to training on Monday, we're going to absolutely flog ourselves. You know, it yeah. must have been a pretty special environment and a fun environment to be part of. It was absolutely uh, the best experience I've had in in my NRL career. 
uh, playing alongside um, those those type of players, just their attitude uh, on and off the field, like it kind of they never switched off. Um, you know, there was times where it was all about family for those who had family, um, but most often, like most of the time, it was like um, play hard. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, what was the thing that Crusher was saying to me all the time? Um, run hard, tackle hard. That sort of mentality. So if we were playing, we put in 110% and whatever we were doing off field was 110%. So it was so, and uh, yeah, I think it helped me a lot to, to, to what I am now in terms of mental strength um, to, to be a, to, to go through that uh, era with, with those um, players. One guy you mentioned there who I, he's one of my favorite players of all time, Glenn Stewart. Tell me about the effect he had on your career. Very um, down to earth, very uh, humble. He would go out of his way to to do anything for anyone. Um, whenever like Steve Matai and, and Travis Burns um, and Glenn Stewart were the like the, the three uh, close mates, and I was kind of just hanging around with them. But Stephen Stephen Travis were kind of like the do things in arms sort of thing. I wouldn't say party animals because we were all party animals, but he was kind of the one who was who always brought us down. It's like, hey, fellas, hang on a second, uh, we've got a job to do. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got a footy game to play and we've got training to go to. So he was he was almost the uh, the father figure, so to speak, um, at the time. Mate, you make your debut in two thousand and seven. I, I don't know if it's the start of a fairy tale story or the end of a fairy tale story coming from where you came from, but tell me about the moment you found out you were making your debut. Oh, right. So I um my opportunity to to debut. So when I just just a little background of, of my footy um pattern. We we're Torres Islanders. I mean some of us are now Cowboys supporters. Um Back then, in the 90s, everyone supported Broncos. And I grew up idolizing Broncos. So I think it was mid-season in 2007. I was just about to... I was just on the verge of making my debut. And the team we were going to play the week after was the Broncos. And I think mainly at a bye, maybe. But I, I remember playing reserve grade the week before the NRL game. And I, I did my ankle. So that, that uh, opportunity to debut, gone, went, went, uh, how do you say it? Um, I missed that. And playing uh, the Warriors in New Zealand and get a call up into the office and Des and everyone sitting there, Crusher. And it was very, you know, daunting walking in and coaches are sitting there, kind of not knowing what, what's going to happen. Sat down and just, they just said, you know, look, we're going to arrest uh, Chris Six uh, and also Brett Stewart. So we're going to move Mick Robertson into fullback. And so we want you to take the, the wing spot. And mate, I was like, wow. I, I, I got on the phone, rang my parents, rang my family. And everyone was just like uh, over the moon. It was like the best moment. Like, you know, I guess, I guess the way I, I went about pursuing that, you know, to go through all of these um, going home, did nothing for about a few years, then to Bundy and then to Sydney 
and then very same year that I moved to Sydney, I, um, I, I made my debut. So that, that was, uh, yeah, it, it was a memory I'll never forget. A kid from an island in the Torres Strait of 300 people making his debut with Manly in New Zealand. It's like a Disney film. Yeah, it is. Like, you know, I, I thought, ah, at least send me up to Suncorp, where it's closer <laughs> to my family to make my debut, or even in Sydney, in the country, New Zealand. We, they said, you're going to another country. And so that, same, that very same week when I got told I was playing, I'm driving around getting passport. Like I'm going to the city because um, I'm like, what? What's a passport? Do you need a passport? What's that? <laughs> and so, yeah, we take passports, photos, and all that stuff that you do to, to get passport. And then flying to New Zealand, mate, it was like, wow, this is unreal. And then we got there, and then I rang my parents from the hotel room, out from the hotel, and and I said, Dad, you got, you're not going to believe it. He said, what? said, we're two hours in front of you. <laughs> and didn't know what was going on. I, I had no idea, like, the time difference. Uh, and Dad's like, oh, man, that's crazy. said, yeah, it's like, it's dark here. What's it like over there? So it's still sunlight. <laughs> yeah. anyway, it's, it was fairy tale indeed. So I remember making that um, game and scoring a try, I think, off a kick from Matty Offord. Um, yeah, everyone back home was pretty stoked with that. To make your first grade debut, unbelievable to score a try in it. Just special, mm. isn't it? Mate, it was. It was special. What made it special too was, um, you know, just, just a little personal story uh, that my auntie, um, she she had, I think she had cancer. Um, well, she was very sick, but she um, she fought through, like she, you know, told her, the doctor said, like any, any day now. But she, mate, she fought through, um, all of that, just, just to watch my debut. Um, and then, yeah, a few months after my debut, yeah, we lost her. But that, that was a special moment, you know, to, to make my debut, to score a try, uh, try for her and, and to, for her to watch it. Because I rang after the game, I rang home and I was like, oh, did she get to watch it? So, yeah, she watched it. She was crying and she, we were all cheering for you. How good's that, mate? That's sensational. Yeah, it's it like, you know, I mean – I, I'll, I'll admit, like I'm not the most decorated NRL player, um, but you know, you you can never take that that game away from you. Whether you've played how many games you played, that first game you play NRL, you no one can take that away from you. Mate, you have another special performance that year. You you get the opportunity to play in the finals at the end of the season, and funnily enough, you play the North Queensland Cowboys, who you'll end up with in a few years. I know. Now you play in the you know the prelim final at the SFS, packed out. I was there that night at the SFS, and mate, that must have been an incredible feeling that week leading up to it. Were you nervous? Oh, mate, I was pumped. I was absolutely pumped. Um, to go up against someone like um, Jonathan Thurston, Matty Bowen, Ty Williams. Um, these these were also players that I look you know um, idolized when I was still at um, high school and watching um, these players play um, in in the uh, Queensland Cup and and, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, we uh, how did I get the call up? I think uh, Hixie injured himself against South the the previous. Uh, game the previous match uh, we had obviously the week off and then the prelim against Cowboys that's that's probably one of my uh, best games that I've played um, you know setting Luke Williamson up for a try that, that was pretty awesome 
Eight, 2008 rolls around. You play eight games. You score five tries. Pretty handy little season there. Yeah, look, um, Hicksy left. Hicksy went overseas. Desi pulled me in start of the uh, season, 2008. Said, look, there is an opportunity here. You want it? It's all yours. But it's all, it all comes down to your attitude. And I, I must admit, I, I went, uh, you know, off track there throughout the preseason of 2008. Um, but then came back on track and then just knuckled down and just really wanted that number five jersey. Um, and, yeah, so I started the season off and, and was doing really well until, um, until the game against Bulldogs. It's funny how little things you remember, um, especially the things that didn't work out. And I remember going in for a try. I'm running a, 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 like a jockey behind the lead runner and Jamie Lyon um, – playing 5-8, passes the ball, and I'm in for all money. And as I'm diving for the try line, I'm, I fumble the ball. And as I fumble the ball, um, Justin Sulos, Tulos, something like that, um, just, yeah, dives on my ankle, yeah, smashes my ankle, and then I'm playing the rest of the game, you know, um, getting injected and, and running around. And then after that, yeah, it was all pretty much downhill to be honest um i you know went six weeks um syndesmosis injury and then while i had the cast or the moon boot on uh i um, had blood clots in my leg and you know in fact this was uh i I was on the mend and then i was just about to fly up to brisbane because my family were coming down to watch um, broncos and manly i'm just about to fly up and I had this excruciating pain in my calf. And then when I rang the doctor, doctor said, go and get it checked now. And this is the day before we flew out and I went and got it checked. And yeah, they, I had a, like a 10, was it 10, six centimeters, something blood clot in my leg. And yeah, so they, they stopped me from going up. My family, everyone from back home um, was hoping that I'd be up there and they were going to come down and watch me play that game. It all went down. To Brisbane, um, I stayed in Sydney. Uh, that that was pretty uh, a wrenching moment for me because um, you know my whole family came down to Brisbane to watch me play, and I just, I never made it. Mate, I imagine as happy as you would have been later in the year. I imagine it must have been pretty gut wrenching. Of course, Manly went on to win the premiership that year. Yeah, look, um, to be honest, bittersweet. Um, you would, as a player, you would rather be out there with the boys um, and celebrating the win, and you know. Um, what more could you do other than to sit on the side and just cheer your boys on? And, and that's what we did. Like 2008, you know, that was one of the biggest wins ever. Um, I don't think anyone can ever repeat that. You know, I don't think if Melbourne ever made the grand final, they wouldn't lose in that, that fashion as well. So it was so good to watch the boys um, come up with a win, but also, uh, you know, a bit, bit disappointing because um, you had the season, he started off well and then, you know, I did play a couple of games after after the injury. But then that last game, I think we played nights up at Gosford. And that's when Des came back to me and said, look, we're going to go with Wolfman because he's he's more match fit. And you just come back from an injury. He, he seemed to be gaining momentum on the wing. Um, so we're just going to stick with him. And, and, you know, what a for the club, what a great decision they made sticking to Wolfman because... Uh, and he absolutely killed it that year. 
went on to win the grand final, made uh, uh, played for his country, and and then also played for the state. I think the year after. Mate, you mentioned that grand final. Obviously, an unprecedented result. I think they won. They won forty nil or something. Just unbelievable. Did you? Did you feel something special was coming in the week leading up to it? Like, I, I imagine it must be hard to get a feeling that something like that's going to happen. But did the team just have a buzz around them that week? The team, I think the team still had that uh, um, that hunger from the previous grand final losing to Melbourne. You could just, you know, in the grand final breakfast, um, we, we could just sense that, sense that energy that, you know, there's something something brewing. There was going to be something great for us at the, at the end of this and. And not not that we were we were too overconfident or cocky or anything as such. We just had this belief um, and the click. The team really bonded, like really clicked. And I, I don't think from from all my uh, experiences with with NRL and and reserve grade um, and even bush footy, I, I've never really experienced anything um, from that 2018 we had because the. Uh, the, all the moving parts sort of just came together and there was just flow. There was synergy. There was, there was great energy um, from right, right, right up from the coaching staff down to the players, to the, the trainers and everyone. Yeah. So we, we, we were, we did have this belief that, you know, we were going to walk away with, with that, um, that trophy. When the siren goes, mate, Manly 2008 premiers, I imagine that must've been one hell of a party after. Yeah, it was, it was indeed. Um, I remember I actually played reserve grade, um, you know, towards the back end of that, that season and I, I popped my shoulder. So I dislocated my shoulder. So I had a surgery on it, I think uh, two weeks before the grand final. And I remember running around um, on the field when we won and the, oh, the shoulder, I had the thing on the brace on and that came off and, you know, I wasn't meant to move my arm or anything, but I was. And then I'm running around with the camera in one hand. Um, I think I was taking photos for, for Steve Maddai. Um, but, yeah, I, I can't remember um, a week after that. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, uh, it was pretty – it was a fun time. It was, it was fun at the time, you know. And, you know, why not? I was young and single and – I'm not single, sorry. I had, had no kids and um, – uh, just running around and, and yeah, having fun. It was a star-studded team on the park, star-studded off the field as well. Who do you remember from that grand final week that was the best on ground in the um, celebrations? In the celebrations? Yeah. Oh, man. Well, I don't know. Look, to be honest, um, I, I still I still had this burning desire to to make it back. You know, watching the boys the way they won, and then the celebrations after that, like you, 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 you want to join, but then something inside of you goes, this, this can be you, this can be you next year, you know? So I kind of, I didn't distance myself from, from the, from the playing group, but just kind of celebrated as best I could. And then focused on the year, the, the following year. So uh, I remember getting a call from, from Shelly, um, Crush's partner at the time saying that, you know, as much as you love to celebrate with these boys, you know, they've, they've played and they made the grand final and they won. And what do you, you got to focus on what you, what you can do. So, so it was more shifting my attitude towards the, the season coming towards 2009. 
Thanks for joining us again on the Rugby League Guru Podcast. That's the end of our part one interview with Michael Barney. We'll have part two dropping next Monday morning. Keep an eye out for it. He goes into, you know, how he eventually had to leave the Manly Seagulls. The way that he found out that he was going to the Cowboys is pretty heartbreaking. Um, He essentially finds out by hearing other teammates talking about it. So it's a pretty hard one to take for him. Talks about his arrival at at the North Queensland Cowboys and some of his relationships with some of the players up there. Talks about some of the stars up at the North Queensland Cowboys and, you know, what that feeling was like playing with them. You know, your Thurston's, your Matty Bowens, your Willie Tongas, some champion blokes. Talks about his eventual retirement and what he's done post-footy. He's doing some fantastic things with his culture and his community. Fantastic things. Can't wait to share part two with you. Stay tuned for the rest of this week. It's another big week on the Rugby League Guru podcast. We'll have another six or seven podcasts dropping, so stay tuned for those ones. Remember to always get corners and keep playing smart footy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.